calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 26 Dell and What's-His-Name So, I asked, what about that army of brownies that's supposed to be coming to your rescue? It is not unusual for alder trees to misinterpret the actions of the people in the land, the brownie said. There is no approaching army. You couldn't deny that this guy was smooth. Dell drank a cup of willow tea with us, but wasn't interested in answering our questions. I offered them Brendan's tent. I even volunteered to pitch it for them, but they chose to sleep in the trees. Although the chance of being robbed or attacked were slim, now that our stalkers had become our escorts, the thought of sleeping while brownies looked down didn't fill us with enough security to abandon keeping watch. Ton was knackered from his birdie head trick, so I offered to take the first shift. I sat alone in front of the crackling fire and searched the trees to see if I could spot where Dell and his pal were sleeping. I couldn't see anything. I remember the first time I had been alone at night in the land, keeping watch by a fire. I remembered how awesome the strange, star-filled sky had been. Now, I just stared up and shivered. The black silhouettes of leafless branches made the starry sky look cracked and broken. On my first trip to the land, everything was new and wonderful, but now everything was just cold and miserable. What had changed? Me or the land? The obvious answer was the land. Fergal wasn't in it anymore. Tirnanog, in my mind, was a place where my cousin Fergal lived. His loss weighed on me like a stone yoke around my neck. Even if I was getting used to the weight of it, I always knew it was there. I knew this was the time of my life when I wanted to figure stuff out by myself, but the idea of him not being out there somewhere, just as a safety net, unnerved me. A world without Dad, any world without Dad, just didn't seem right. What if he doesn't make it? I pushed those thoughts out of my mind. 
I was glad Brendan was here, not just because he got my real-world jokes, but because it felt like he belonged here. But he wasn't going to stay long. As soon as Dad got better, or the next Samhain, he'd be out of here, back to his daughter and his crazy mother. The other annoying thing was Turlo. I'd never been on a road trip with a guy I didn't like. I remember reading an article by a rock star. He talked about choosing the members of his band. He said the best bass player in the universe isn't going to get on my bus if he's a jerk. I didn't agree with that before, but I do now. And I don't care if Brendan and Araf like Turlo. I just don't want to like him. He gets in the way of me and Essa. I don't have to like him, do I? Can't I just dislike someone regardless of whether they're likable or not? You look like a man deep in the midst of a moral conflict, said a voice to my left. It was Turlo. Can I be of assistance? <laughs> no, I laughed. I don't think this moral dilemma is for you to help me with. What are you doing awake? The thought of brownies and trees is not a restful one. Sleep eludes me. Well, that I can understand, I agreed. Considering that this particular banshee was not my favorite person, one would be excused for thinking that I was annoyed that he disturbed my solitude, but to be honest, I was glad that someone broke my morose musing. Actually, Turlo, there's something I've been meaning to ask you about. Yes. Turlo took a seat, and I offered him a cup of tea from the stuff that Queen Rhiannon had given me. He took a sip and raised his eyebrows in approval. What would you like to know, Connor? You are the Turlo. You have been waiting to ask me that? No, I mean, you're like the king of the banshees, right? He frowned at that and took a sip of his tea, collecting his thoughts. Actually, Connor, you were right the first time. I am not a king. I am the Turlo. Okay, but you're like the head of the Banshees, I pressed. Turlo smiled at this and said, I am tempted to repeat myself and say once again, I am the Turlo. For that title is all the definition that is needed by me or my clan. But... Yes. I suppose you could say I am the head banshee. And do all banshees acknowledge this? There had been a lightheartedness to our conversation up till then, but it disappeared with that question. Why do you ask? I was wondering about the banshees in the Reedlands. You may have heard from Essa that they attacked us, and many suspect that they were responsible for the destruction of the Hall of Knowledge. Are they not your subjects? I have no subjects, Connor. Being a Turlo is much more like being a father than a ruler. As it has been since the beginning of time, a father who pushes too hard one day finds that his son chooses to no longer listen. I do not rule. I just am. He continued. As of the Banshees in the Reedlands, I knew nothing about them or your attack until after your father regained Dor. This is very worrying for me. I have sent parties to find them. Most have failed, while others have failed to return. The Reedlands is a treacherous place. But you must know where they come from. 
I have my suspicions. And they are. He started to answer me, but then stopped himself and thought for a bit. I have not been the Turlow long. During the time of my tenure, my clan has been uneasy. The cause of this uneasiness has been your uncle. Now there was a surprise. Kilty has been known to have that effect, I said. What did he do? Years ago, he traveled to the Banshee shores. No dignitary of the House of Dor had been there for eons. My predecessor, the old Turlow, greeted him as befitted a Prince of Oak. Kilty stayed among us and befriended the younger members of the clan, including, I must admit, myself. He spoke of how lowly regarded the Banshees were in the land, and when no elders were around, he spoke of a time when the Banshees would rule at his side. When old Turlow heard of this, he accused Kilty of creating unrest by lying about Banshee prejudice. The Turlow ordered him to leave. Kilty, appalled that a son of Dor should be treated so, left, but with him he took a small group who openly defied the old Turlow. When Kilty attained the oak throne, he came back to the Banshee's shores. Although the old Turlow did not like it, he welcomed him as one should the head of the House of Dor. But when your uncle proclaimed that he wanted the new army of Dor to be made up entirely of Banshees, old Turlow said no. Banshees defend the far shore. They are not mercenaries, he said. Kilty countered that all of the shores of the land are the shores of Dor. The old Turlow put his foot down, but the temptation was too great. Kilty offered gold and a good life in Castle Dor. Many of my people joined him. The shame of their desertion caused the old Turlow to sail out to sea in shame. That is the sad truth of how my tenure as the Turlow began. And what did you do? I kept my word and did not meet with Kielty, but I did not forbid any of my clan from joining his army. After all, he did hold the Oak Rune. If the Chamber of Runes deemed him worthy, who was I to disagree? Of course, now it is easy to see that the old Turlow had been right. Kielty did not deserve the throne, and too much banshee blood was needlessly spilled in his name. If I had known then what I know now... He shook his head. That thinking is the path to madness. That still doesn't explain the Reedland Banshees. The causes of war always vary, but the effects are almost always the same. One effect is that some men of war never tire of the fight. I suspect that the Banshees who live in that unholy swamp are of that ilk. That is why I came to help Dahi. If I cannot find my renegades in the Reedlands, at least I can help defend the Hazellands from another attack. So, why are you here and not in the Hazellands? Little did I suppose that when I came to Cull that I would find a royal woman as strong and fair as Princess Essa. Yeah. Lucky you, I said, drinking the last of my now-cold tea. I am very fortunate indeed. You say, Connor, that you wanted to ask me a question. Now I have one that I have always wanted to ask you. Shoot. 
Once you had her, he said, why in the land would you let Essa go? I toyed with the idea of grabbing a flaming log from the fire and clocking him with it. I even imagined the spectacular shower of sparks as he went down. Instead, I answered his question with a question. Do you remember what you asked me at the beginning of this conversation? When he looked confused, I answered for him. You asked if you could help me with my internal moral dilemma. Would you like to know what that dilemma was? Turlow shrugged. I was debating whether it was okay to like you or not. And what conclusion did you reach? I've gotten as far as deciding that uh, I don't like you. And you are wondering if that is okay? Basically, I said. I wouldn't worry about it too much, Connor. I do not like you very much either. <laughs> you don't? I said enthusiastically. That's good to hear. Turlow smiled and shook his head. You are a strange man, Prince of Oak. Go to your tent. I will take your watch. You don't have to do that. There is no sleep in my near future. Go. Okay, I said, but don't think this will make me like you any better. Good night, Connor. Turlow said with that exasperated tone that is usually reserved for my friends and relatives. Didn't sound right coming from him. I dreamt that night that the two brownies climbed down from the trees wearing army uniforms. Then uniform brownies dropped from every tree as far as the eye could see. They converged into ranks until a huge brownie army marched towards me from all directions. Just as they were about to overwhelm me, someone pointed to the sky and we all looked up. I opened my eyes to see Brendan looming over me in the tent. It was still dark outside. What's up? I croaked. Nothing, he whispered. Go back to sleep. So I did. Ton and Yogi offered to share a horse and give Yogi's mount for the brownies to ride. They declined the offer. I figured that since our guides were on foot that we would have a slow travel day. Wrong. These guys were speedy. They moved so fast I felt like an old English fox hunter. It was actually hard to keep up. Mostly because the trail they chose was made for runners, not riders. I spent the whole day getting whipped in the face by alder branches that I suspected enjoyed it. We broke for lunch and offered food to our guides. They may not be willing to share information with us, but they had no problem packing away our food. I guess if you run as fast as a horse for four hours, you're entitled to eat like one. These guys each wolfed down what three of us would have had at a feast. I made sure I didn't reach for any food at the same time as one of them for fear of losing a finger. I said this to Essa, who I noticed chose to sit next to me at lunch and she laughed so hard she almost spit out what she was eating. I may not have the turdlow's good looks or kingly crown, but I can make that girl laugh. That's got to count for something, right? That afternoon, the trail became wider and less whack-a-face, but instead of going faster, the brownies slowed almost to a jog. 
I couldn't figure out if these guys had burnt themselves out on their morning sprint, or if they had been deliberately lacerating our faces for the amusement of the alder trees. Araf, who is normally not the suspicious type, had a different take on it. He got the impression that the brownies were deliberately slowing down, but he couldn't say why. Late in the afternoon, the brownies halted for tea. Essa forcefully pointed out that we do not halt for tea, but even the menacing glare of Essa, a look that has withered many a determined man, could not dissuade Dell and his yet unnamed sidekick from plopping themselves down in the frozen dirt and demanding food. Don't they feed you in Brownieville? Brendan asked. Dell ignored him and the other one's mouth was too full to talk. Brendan casually pulled me aside during our afternoon tea. You had a long chat with the Turlo last night. Are you spying on me? I'm surprised I didn't find you waiting up in the tent saying, And what time do you call this? I don't have to spy on you, Connor. All I have to do is ask you a question. You're a crappy liar. Thanks, I think. So what did you two talk about? Well, if you must know, he talked about how my uncle Kielty had mucked up his life. I hate to say it, but I'm starting to think that maybe he isn't such a bad guy. I mean, he's still a pompous jerk, but maybe I should cut him a little slack. Maybe, Brendan said thoughtfully. What do you mean, maybe? I thought you liked the guy. I did, and Tilly lied to me today. What? Did he say he liked your shirt? Because you're right, that would be a lie. After an appropriate dirty look, Brendan said, I didn't sleep well last night. Those brownies bother me. Yeah, I wasn't too pleased with the thought of them up there in the trees myself. No, that, that wasn't it, Brendan said. He flexed his fingers into and out of a fist. It was a thing he did when he was trying to figure something out. It's like when I'm in an interrogation room and there's something I'm missing, but I don't know what. That's what it's like when these brownies are around. Well, if you suspect them of stealing something, you're probably right, but what's this got to do with the turdlow? When you came to bed after your watch, you didn't close the flap properly. From where I was laying, I could see turdlow through the crack in the tent. After about half an hour, he looked up suddenly and snuck off to the shadows. I watched for him to return for about ten minutes, then decided to get up and see where he went. Outside, I couldn't see him until I stepped on a twig. That's when I saw Brownie scoot back up into the trees like a squirrel, and Turlow walked hurriedly back to the fire. I nodded to Turlow, who I thought looked guilty, and walked to the edge of the path to relieve myself. So you think they were talking the whole time? I don't know. When I mentioned it to Turlow after lunch, he denied it. When I pointed out to him that I saw the two of them together, he suddenly remembered and said that Dell had come down from the trees to relieve himself, and he only passed a casual greeting with him. It sounds like there were a lot of weak bladders roaming around the forest last night. How do you know he's not telling the truth? I don't, really he said with a sigh. It's just it. Something ain't right here, and I'm not going to sleep well until I figure it out.
You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.